From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF, and welcome back, Kelly Hartlob. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here in our home. Uh, You're filling in for Heather Knight, who's taking some time off. I'm comparing this to when Ryan Seacrest is gone and Kelly Ripa has her husband come in to help co-host the show. I could not be more excited to be the Mark Consuelos of Total SF. Okay, I did not know that name. Um, I'm surprised at you. Yeah, Mark Consuelos. uh, I'll remember that. Um, Today's guest is romance novelist Jasmine Guillory. She's a Bishop O'Dowd graduate, Stanford Law graduate, great Twitter follow, started writing fiction at night while working a full-time job, and is now just absolutely an industry in herself. She's published five books in less than three years, starting with The Wedding Date, and the new one is Party of Two. Do you remember when The Wedding Date showed up on my dresser by my bed? I mean, I'm I'm not sure you want her to hear this. It's It's been sitting on your nightstand for probably two years now? I, I think three years. Oh, um, I bought it when it came out. I tweeted to the tweet, hey, I got your book. Honestly, like if you're a friend of mine, an acquaintance, and a book comes out, I'm going to buy it. That's true. Yeah. I'm probably not going to read it. That's Um, true. uh, I don't read a lot uh, outside of work. I have to read some stuff for work. I'm kind of constantly doom scrolling on my phone these days. But I was getting a little stir crazy lately, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start just kind of biking to kind of one of the benches by the office park near our house or the marina. And I'm just going to read a little bit of a book, spend an hour and read a little bit of a book every day. I started with The Wedding Date. Um, Oh, my God. My first romance novel. I was just blown away. I love it. I am getting really excited here because I think maybe you should join a book club. Yeah, well, I I could join a book club. Um, I have one. You could join. I have a couple. And I could even be in one of your book clubs where they kind of don't read the book and maybe like a romance novel might get into it. That's a good entry point for a book club. Well, this is a really good book. Um, I loved it. I talked about it a couple episodes ago with Heather, and I kind of like overcompensated about, oh my God, a romance novel was good, which which Jasmine kind of, you know, sets me straight on that. Um, Her characters are well drawn. She tackles issues of race and culture in a really natural way, and there are subtle messages about consent. Um, Just the whole thing feels really modern. We talk about Oakland as well in this interview, uh, the challenges of writing scenes in Los Angeles versus the Bay Area. Jasmine is very much an Oaklander. And this is Indie Bookstore Tribute Month, so we talk a lot about local bookstores. Now more than ever, buy local. Buy local. Um, I also, I I, want to go back to something you said a minute ago, though, that she, I I guess I didn't realize... um, she still had a different day job while she first started doing this writing. And I'm thinking about how hard it is to read the books that I want to get through with a full-time job, to to be writing them at the same time, too. That's that's just remarkable. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible story. I'll actually tweet out um, Jessica Zach did a profile of her last year for The Chronicle. And um, she wrote a couple of young adult fiction novels just for fun. They didn't get picked up. 
And it wasn't until she was, you know, a few books into it that um, the wedding date really took off. So it's a great story. She's delightful. Our dog didn't interrupt this uh, intro (laughs) that we recorded. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. With still a couple seconds left. Jasmine Guillory coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Kelly Hartlob, and this is Total SF. Welcome to Total SF, Jasmine Guillory. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am extremely excited to have you. Um, my first romance novel author. Um, I'm a fan of yours on Twitter, and um, I'm reading your new book, Party of Two, um, which just came out during the pandemic. I wanted to start by asking you, what does a book tour look like during a pandemic? Um, well, you know, it looks a lot like my living room, <laughs> which is <laughs> where I've spent the bulk of my time over the past, what is it, five months now? Yeah. Um, yes, lots of virtual events, which I was like, I kind of thought they would all be deeply depressing. Um, but it was actually like, I got to talk to authors who I wouldn't have normally talked to, you know, because usually you go to different cities and then you talk to whoever sort of lives there. But this time there was no geography restrictions. So like for my events, I could pull authors just who I wanted to talk to, you know, who were fun to talk to. And then we just got to like get on Instagram together or YouTube or like wherever they recorded us and chat about my book and their book and all that kind of stuff. So that was actually really fun. But I did really miss like getting to meet people in real life and getting to see readers. So that was that was different. Do, do you miss the travel and do you miss just seeing new bookstores in different places? Because so much of your books that I've read, there's a lot of travel and discovering new things and people introducing new cultures and food to someone who's flown up. Or what. I'm wondering if, if you've missed it. I mean, at this point, like I miss everything. I was thinking longingly <laughs> the other day of like, oh, that time I got delayed in the Atlanta airport. Nobody (laughs) thinks longingly of getting delayed in the Atlanta airport. And yet, (laughs) Um, but I do miss the travel. Like it is, you know, I find different regions and the things that like the regional foods or like expressions that we have in different places. I find that all like endlessly fascinating. And so talking to other authors about the like small quirks that they put in their books or seeing how, you know, seeing bookstores in different places and also seeing the things like we all have in common. That part is also really fun. Um, And the weird, like, I, you know, I grew up here in the Bay Area, so I think of this area as home, while other people think of it in just very different ways that sometimes, like, have a slight bit of accuracy, but a lot of times are just, like, what they see on TV or whatever. And so that's also really interesting to see what kind of misconceptions they have and what misconceptions I have about other places, too, you know? Like, there are places that I've been on book tour that I'd never been before um, and that I thought were just, like, a delightful place to visit that I wouldn't have thought to go to. So that part I do miss a lot. Well, I I notice it in the books that it seems like you really enjoy, I don't want to say showing off, but introducing people to the Bay Area. Um, I, I was marking paragraphs from the wedding date, and there's one where you give a very long paragraph description of 
um, hanging out in Dolores Park and just bringing your food to Dolores Park and the sights and the smells, a little bit of weed coming by, yeah. you know, the churro. <laughs> and I just feel like, um, you know, I've, en- I've enjoyed these books and, and the detours are sometimes the things that I enjoy the most. But 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 there is that element, like I can see people who don't know the Bay Area, like you're trying to go, okay, here's what Oakland's like. Um, here's what hanging out in San Francisco is like. And uh, And I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I, I'm glad that you brought up that paragraph because I really do love that paragraph from that book. And I think, you know, a lot of times, especially now, people think of San Francisco and the whole Bay Area as just being like a tech scene. But that's yeah. like, sure, that's some of what has overtaken the public perception of us and certainly like, you know, the industry. But the people who grew up here, like that's not what our that's not our lives. You know, there's so many different kinds of people and places that make up the Bay Area and why I love it. Um, And even though tech is certainly a part of this world right now, number one, I'm not sure if it will always be dominated by that. And it hasn't always been, right? I mean, my my parents grew up here. You know, my grandmother grew up here. Like, they've had completely different lives than that. And so that's some of what, like, makes up the Bay Area that I know. Um, and so that's tr- what I try to put in my books. And I think it's important, too. I mean, I, I lived 15 years in Oakland, and I think we kind of uh, found out about each other through Twitter and, and have followed each other for a while. And it was when I was in Oakland. We were both in Oakland. And what I find is that um, when people hear about Oakland, it's some kind of crisis. It's Always. some kind of um, – and I, I remember there was a point pretty early in my career, uh, very early in my years in Oakland, where – it was climbing toward 100 homicides. And that was every headline was like, Oakland's at 98 homicides. Oh, I remember that. I totally remember that, yeah. And I I actually pledged. I'm like, okay, next year I'm going to write stories about Oakland that have nothing to do with homicides. I did like eight features the next year of just everything from the Grand Lake Theater to, you know, whatever I could find. Um, But I like that, like, you're clearly in love with the town. You want to show it off. Um, I've even heard you, I've listened to a couple of podcasts, you mentioned where you're from. And uh, uh, again, I think that's a really cool thing. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I I just, I love the Bay Area and all of like, I think people, there's a lot of stuff about the Bay Area that, you know, the kind of the individuality and the quirkiness and stuff that people have tried to stamp out throughout the years. Um, But I think many of us are fighting to keep it. (laughs) So... Well, I've got a bad segue, the first of many bad segues on this podcast. Um, but uh, I told you I was going to ask you your favorite uh, romantic comedy or romantic movie, and I'm going somewhere with this. All um, right. Have you got one? Yes, When Harry Met Sally. Oh, that's a perfect one. Wh- <laughs> when did you see it, and what endures about it for you? That is, you know, I actually don't remember when the first time was that I saw it because I've seen it so many times now Um, because it was you know it was always on TV for years or I would watch it like with my friends and stuff like that and there are just so many perfect lines in it but the conversations are so delightful you know in in the the small side characters like like Carrie Fisher is incredible in that movie I talked to when I mean when she died 
people talked about all of her big stuff, obviously, and I love Carrie Fisher for many things, but in that movie, she's incredible. And, you know, the, the her romance is amazing, uh, as well as, like, the big romance. And then the, like, all of the old couples in between yes. all of the scenes are just a delight, and they make you so happy. One of my friends i think on twitter watched it for the first time recently and was like oh well this movie is amazing (laughs) and you know because sometimes movies that people like are beloved don't hold up and you kind of love them for how they were when you first saw them but when harry met sally totally holds up well you know I, i think a lot of movies people think about the romance and the two main characters and the writing is so good for them and then everything around them is inauthentic Right. And I think when Harry met Sally, you mentioned, you know, Bruno Kirby, Carrie Fisher, every other character, every other situation, everything in orbit of them is as authentic as, you know, their chemistry. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so good choice. My, mine is um, Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> uh, which has like a 37 on Rotten Tomatoes. I think I'm the only one that loves this film, but I can watch it over and over. And I'm, I've been like open about that. But I had never read a romance novel. And then I apologize to you because t- two or three episodes ago when Heather and I and I were talking about your books, I like made a big deal about it. Like I read a romance. And, and, and now I realize like the more I think about it, why, why is it a big deal for a guy who's 49 years old to read a romance novel? And I'm wondering if you think about that because I don't see a big difference between a lot of um, the, the artistry of your book and the artistry of one of these movies we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a romance stigma in, like, I think in the world. And a lot of that, I think, comes back generally to misogyny. Like, people think that something that's mostly dominated by women has to be, like, lesser, you know? There's something wrong with it. It's cheesy or it's bad or I don't like those covers or, like, whatever. Um, but the, but I've, like, talked to a lot of men who read one and they're like, oh, this is, this is fun. <laughs> I want to read more of this. There was actually a great um, piece on the Today Show last week or the before about um, a guy who I think is a hockey player who started a romance reading book club. Um, there was a romance oh, novel <laughs> from last year called The Bromance Book Club about a group of guys who started a book club. And so he started his own, like, kind of based on that. Um, and it was great. And I, it's funny because one of my cousins, when he read The Wedding Date, he read it on Bart. <laughs> and uh-huh. he said that he got, like, a number of dates because women saw him reading it on Bart. And I was like... <laughs> More men should do that. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen people um, reading it out in the wild? I like, have a, never a, seen it. What? And it's like, I would love that. That is my dream. A number of my friends have texted me that they have seen, like, people reading my book out in the wild. Like, one of my friends saw someone reading it on, on BART and took a picture for me. And oh, that's somebody, great. Like, I've had at least two friends sitting next to somebody on an airplane back when we used to fly in airplanes um, who was, like, the person next to them was reading it. And I'm like, I would love that. Yeah. I, I remember, I think... It probably was your third book, but they came out, the first three came out pretty quickly. And I remember seeing someone with two of them at City Target, the Target, like at the Metreon. Yeah. 
and I almost got my camera to, you know, oh sense the new on Twitter. And I'm like, that is just the maximum creeper move. Oh, because <laughs> we were we were it. at the like we were that. at the self checkout too. Yeah. So, but I saw her there with two books, and I I immediately was like, oh, oh I yeah, know her anyway. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. And I, I've seen it once on a muni. Um, I figured you would have seen it ten times. Oh, but, never, uh, never. It's it's going to be exciting. Yeah. So, so your latest book, um, Party of Two, uh, it's Olivia, who was in The Wedding Date. I'm holding yes. both books up right now. Um, very Essie Hinton type of thing to do, to have these characters <laughs> sort of appear. Um, she's the sister of the main character in The Wedding Date, Olivia, and she's moving back to L.A., uh, meets a, a uh, U.S. senator. Yes. Does not know he's a U.S. senator in a bar, and they... Uh, uh, hit it off and and then I'm not going to give any way any more away other than that but um I wanted to ask you about LA. Yeah. I, I think of you as Oakland. How do you get LA right? Um even down to like US senator. How much are you kind of doing research and cuz you're getting into detail in LA too. Yeah, some of it is research and then some of it is definitely like relying on my friends who live there. Um and you know it's funny because like the Bay Area has this weird love-hate relationship with LA, which I don't really understand because I love LA, even though, you know, I love the Bay Area too. I think the LA is very different from us. Um, but I think we all need to band together against the real enemy, which is obviously the East Coast. Um, <laughs> so, there's a little bit of New York bashing in the Yeah, new there's book. a little bit uh, of New, little, new York bashing in the book. I mean, why anyone would choose to live in a place where the weather is like that. I mean, all of my East Coast friends, just to digress, all of my East Coast friends right now are complaining about the heat. The high has been 73 in Oakland for the past two weeks. Yeah, I'm pretty happy about that. So anyway, um, but so I, it's funny because in the wedding date, um, Drew lives in Santa Monica, mm. as does his friend Carlos. But, and so they were like... At the time, I was like, I had a part time job where I was working from home, but I was spending some time in Santa Monica for that. So I got a little bits of it there. But when I wrote the proposal, I knew it was, which is my second book, I knew it was mm-hmm. going to be basically all in LA. And all of my friends who live in LA live on the East Side. And I was like, I got to make him move. Like, they have to move so that they can be on the east side so all my friends can tell me where everything should be. <laughs> so, like, so I had to start out with a book with, he got a new job <laughs> in a different part of L.A. <laughs> so that, like, because, like, all of my, you know, I, I was like, so restaurants, I need to know where they should hang out or, like, this or that. And, you know, some my agent lives in L.A. Like, I needed them, I need to be able to tell me, because L.A. is very, you know, partly in the same way that the Bay Area is, but even more. So I think L.A., like, what part of the city you lives, live in is, really determines where, I, what you know. I, I did four years there, and yeah. I say it like it was a, a penal term. Yes. <laughs> uh, I did four years, I did my four years in L.A., um, and I lived in Hollywood. I didn't know where else to live. I just want, I knew the man's Chinese theater was nearby and I got an apartment near that. And, uh, and I did four years there and, and I got to say, I never unpacked my boxes. Like I knew I wanted to come back to the Bay area, but, uh, I have a lot of nice memories too. So yes. I'm not a, I'm yeah. not a traditional LA basher. And I have a lot of family who lives in LA too. And so I've gone there at least once a year, probably my whole life. Yeah. Um, and then with book stuff, I tend to go back. I, you know, I've been to L.A., I mean, not this year probably, um, but 
at least two or three times, maybe, maybe more, you know, at least three times a year for the past few years. So I try to at least fit in like a little bit of location scouting or just information, <laughs> you know, pulling. Um, I call that, that a tax deduction trip. Yeah, that is true. That, that all, it's also partly that. <laughs> Uh, one thing I love, and I feel bad I didn't mention this a couple episodes to Heather, because all I was talking about was the six-page opening sex scene and the wedding <laughs> date, um, is the food. Okay, I'm at a stage in my life where 60% of my thought is thinking about my next meal. Yes, absolutely. And as absolutely. I get older, that number gets bigger. I love that wherever you go in your books, you describe the food with as much detail and love and passion as the sex scenes. There's a, I'm, I'm reading Party of Two and that you, there's a scene with pie. Yeah. <laughs> that um, I think they get six slices or something like that. And it, it is, it feels like good food writing. Um, again, something organic or is that something that you sort of wanted to do from the beginning? You know, it's funny because um, one of the first like reviews I got for the wedding date talked about like how much they eat uh, in the book and I was like I feel like they eat the normal amount that people <laughs> eat it's just that in books you usually don't talk about how much they yeah. eat and and that's something that I always like I didn't really do it on purpose but I always want to know what people are eating you know if like there's a scene in the book and they're out to dinner but it doesn't talk about what they're eating or where or I'm I'm like well but what like, are they sharing or are they not? Do they, do they get dessert? Like, what's the appetizer? Like, these are all the things I want to know. And I also think that, you know, food and how we cook food and share with other people and all that stuff tells you things about a character. Um, and so that's, like, that's something that I always find fascinating. Yeah. And, and I also think, like, having, you know, sh like, having meals with other people is a big part of life for me. Um, and so that's something that I like kind of bring to my books. Well, you know, there's nothing more relatable to me than a character who just goes into a little bit of dialogue about not liking the fries from In-N-Out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got that in there. We'll be right back after this short break. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Available in three colors, its thin light design, built-in HD camera, and touchscreen turns any space into your workspace. More at surface.com slash laptop go. First book that you fell in love with, do you remember? I am not sure if I remember that, though I was a huge reader as a kid and like loved reading, loved being read to and made, you know, made everybody in my family read to me all the time. They're like, when I first think about it, though, like some of the first books that I sort of remember reading myself, um, I loved the shoes books. Um, you probably didn't read these as a kid because they're very like girl centered books. But um, ballet shoes is is the first one. They're about like, three little girls who live in London, like between the wars and take dancing classes. And I was obsessed with them and all of the books. I think, I mean, I've read those books. Oh, I don't know. Hundreds of times, probably. Um, I think I have at least four copies of ballet shoes in my home right now. Cause I kept like losing them and rebuying them and then finding them. And then I would have an extra copy. Um, so yes, those, those are definitely some books that I 
fell in love with and still love. Do you, do you remember, was there a point where you started thinking, I'm not seeing myself in these books? I mean, maybe you did. I don't think I noticed that. I think because it, because I never saw myself in the books, it didn't, it felt like it wasn't something I could expect, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because, like, at, you know, from such a young age, there was, I mean, you know, especially children's books are a lot better now, but then... I just, there were no children's books with little black girls in them, you know, that like the picture books, I don't think I remember a single one that I read that had little black girls in them. And so it wasn't even something that occurred to me could happen, that would occur to me, I think then that could even happen. Um, And, and now looking back on it, I think like, why didn't I think of that? But I think I, it just, it was just such the default to have like books about, either animals or white kids, <laughs> yeah. but, but not. Or, or if there was, um, if there was a black, um, character, it was very much centered around them in a real dramatic way. Yes, um, absolutely. And, and it wasn't just like they were walking in and out and it was a normal thing. It, it, did that, did, it, did that motivate you? Um, so actually, I mean, it was one of the things that made me start writing in the first place. Um, mm. When I, because I, I read a book that was based in the Bay Area, um, and I, I like remember thinking, like I, I wish there was a book like this about. It was a young adult book, um, and I was like, I wish there was a book like this about a black teenager based in the Bay Area, because it, because there, because there weren't a lot of. I haven't read a ton of books based in the Bay Area, and so this felt very familiar to me. It mentioned places that I'd been, and I was like, you know, this is this is my place. I wish there was a book about, you know, a teenage girl like me mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. And then I thought, could I write one of those? Huh. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I could do that. And then I, like, that's when I started, like, talking to friends about writing, seeing if they were, you know, what they thought about me being a writer. And, th- and that's when I just sort of dove in and started writing. And so that book didn't get published, but that's what like made me think about it, about like, ha- you know, writing a book about a black teenage girl in my town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that ended up, and then once I start, you know, once I wrote a little bit more and then started writing romance, it was a, a black grown up <laughs> in mm-hmm. my town. One more bad segue here, but I-, I wanted to ask you, do you remember your first Oakland memory? Well, so I lived in Berkeley um, until from like when I was born to like when I was 10. But my parents both grew up in the Bay Area, too. Um, My grandparents, my dad's parents grew up in or lived in East Oakland. And so I went to my grandmother's before I started school. I went to my grandmother's house like every day. Um, So all of my first Oakland memories are like playing outside my grandmother's house with my cousins. You know, we would, because I had a bunch of cousins on that side, um, we would play outside in the street, like, in deep East Oakland all the time, because there were a ton of us, my grannies, you know, playing in, like, the driveway of my grandparents' house, jumping in and out of, like, my grandparents' car. Um, So those, like, those memories of Oakland are all really built into my family. It's always my goal not to mention the pandemic until deep into the podcast, but I wanted to ask you, like, now... Do you travel through Oakland much? Do you take walks? Do you explore it in a different way? Are you learning more things about the East Bay as we're going through this? You know, I think I'm learning more like small focused things about the East Bay, right? Because like I take walks around my neighborhood 
And especially early, like in that in that first, like in eight, you know, March and April, um, that like all of my neighbors were also taking like daily walks, right? You would see other people, like everyone was kind of out walking around and seeing the dogs and smiling at one another. And so I would, I kind of saw like all of the flowers that would bloom here. Do you know what I mean? Like little things like that, that I would notice on a daily basis. Like, oh, wow, look at all, look, this is a new flower that I didn't see yesterday. Or I didn't realize how many flowers there were in Oakland or eaten. Like now everybody has vegetable gardens, as do I. (laughs) And like, oh, look at all the tomatoes. Like all of that stuff is making me really appreciate the Bay Area. (laughs) Um, You know, the, the like small little things that I see on a daily basis. Yeah, we have a slow street nearby, and I swear if someone tries to take it away, I'm going to lay my body down on it. Right. Because, I mean, that thing has kept me sane. I have It starts a block and a half away, and I can just walk and be in my thoughts and be able to distance. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I love how they do that. And even, like, one of the slow streets near me, it cut off one of my kind of regular shortcuts, yeah. But I don't care. Now I have a different <laughs> regular shortcut. You know, it's nice to like, to be able to have like people just kind of walking around and being able to talk to your like have a conversation with your neighbor while you're in the middle of the street and they're in, on their front porch and it's nice. And, you know, my neighbors are all like one person posted like on the, you know, neighborhood email list like I have lots of Meyer lemons come to my house. And so everybody <laughs> kind of walked to our house and got my, you know, like nice. little things like that are, are very nice. I hope we carry that over. Um, and, and another thing I, I hope happens, you know, when this is over, as it dies down, is I just worry about these independent businesses so much. Oh, my God, me too. And I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, bookstores, um, obviously, you're, you know, intimately involved with bookstores now. But I'm sure when you were younger, they were a part of your life, too. And, and I wanted to just start there. I mean, what, what did bookstores mean to you? as a reader, as you started working on becoming an author? Well, I mean, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because, like, the two bookstores that I really think of as being formative to me as a kid are both gone now. And so, what, like, what I, um, Cody's in uh, Berkeley, sure. which my, you know, my dad was in graduate school at Berkeley when I was little, and so... We were around there all the time and it was like Cody's was huge, right? And so I would go there with my parents and we would each kind of like wander towards own special different sections and spend hours in there and then everybody would like come out and each person get would, would get like one or two books and then we'd go home and that was a night um so we like there was all sorts of there were so many different people you would see there I discovered so many books there like there's some books that I remember discovering them in the like children's book room at Cody's or like cookbooks that I saw on the shelf mm-hmm. and still cook from and um so we like I would spend so much time there as a kid and then a tiny bookstore Lane's Books in Oakland um, which was, I think, on MacArthur, um, just like a small bookstore, like on the corner of in a residential neighborhood. And the the owner was, I, I think we started going there when I was maybe 
11 or 12 like I was pretty small maybe I no I think we were, I was like 10 um because I remember like we lived in our house in Berkeley then and he I started asking him questions about like telling him what I had read the last and asking him what I should read next and he was this you know older man and he was so excited to talk to me about books like I told him what I had read last and he was like oh okay and then talked to me for my my parents were just sort of standing there watching as he talked to me for like 30 minutes and gave me ideas on what I should read next. And I came out with books and was so excited to keep reading. And we kept going back there, you know? And so the, like bookstores have made me discover so many different books and just like a love of discovery um, that I have missed in not being able to, like with bookstores being closed, not being able to wander around. And I'm still constantly buying books from the bookstores, but it's different because it's not that same. You just sort of pick up a book and read the back and then think, I want to get this. Yeah, um, I mean, in, in bookstores, for me, it was first comic book shops, but I love bookstores too. There's something that feels safe in there. There's something about the way when you're talking, like the acoustics are real low because you're surrounded by books. But... Um, I think a lot of it is 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 just that relaxation and sense that you might discover something and that nobody's going to try and push you out. I mean, people are just wandering around there. And I don't feel that way indoors anywhere now. So even no. the one bookstore I've gone into, I was like, okay, I'm going to get my stuff and get out. Um, and and I, I just think, okay, so I can't visit them, but I've got to be thinking about them now more than ever. Um, and, uh, I, I wanted to ask you too, the, the, um, you know, I, I'd have to think it must've been really special to you. There must've been one or two events that you had maybe after your first book where, you know, just surrounded by people, your books come out. I, I think that must be an incredible experience to. Yeah. To... I mean, my, you know, I will never forget my first book event because it was here in Oakland at East Bay Booksellers, um, which oh, is on College lovely. Avenue. It used to be Diesel. Yes. Right? used to be Diesel. Um, and then the, like, because D- Diesel is a chain, and then the, the people who worked at East Bay Booksellers bought it and so um, renamed it. And, like, I, I, you know, my whole family is from Oakland, right? And so. And like, so, and I have a bunch of friends, because I've lived here all my life, I have a bunch of friends and stuff. And so everybody I knew came out almost to that, right? And so it was like people I had gone to middle school with and high school with and college and law school and then my parents and siblings and aunts and uncles and cousins. And it was just like so great um, to see all of these people who have supported me throughout my life and also like through all sorts of different things come, you know, one of the, I think, which event was it? Um, maybe for my, I can't remember if it was an event for my third or my fourth books, but like one of my high school, no, one of my teachers came from like, um, I think she was my fourth grade math teacher, maybe oh. third. I can't remember. But, um, but like she came, you like, Things like that have just been. How much really are good. you? How much are you crying at these book events? <laughs> <laughs> I know it. It is really wonderful to to get to see so many so many different people um, at them, and and it was wild. Like because you know my first book event, right? I just sort of expected that it would be people I kn- knew. So when yeah. it, when there started being people that like I didn't know come to my book events, I was like. Well, really? I don't even know you, and you're here? It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, I, I, I know you'll have a lot of those in the future, and I'm sure we'll all appreciate uh, those things even more. East Bay Books, that's a great place for an event. That and, and I, I shout out Miss Dalloway's. I did it on the last podcast, too, that, um, you know, some of these places, it's just there's something about the acoustics, the way they can move stuff out of the way. All of a sudden, it just feels like the the bookstore version of, of being in a stadium or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was this event that I went to at East Bay Booksellers last, must have been last August? No, last September, um, for The Yellow House um, by Sarah and Broom, which is a book that, like, I had heard of before. Someone, it's about, it was about, it's her memoir about basically growing up in New Orleans and then, Hurricane Katrina and what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, some, you know, another writer I know who lives in New Orleans who told me about the book. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I went to the book event and I was like, it was like being in, in church almost. Like, like it felt like the that she was like, you know, she was reading her book, but she has this poetic voice. And just listening to her talking about it, I felt like I was falling in love with like the book and everybody in the room, you know. Yeah. And then I and then I read the book and loved it, and it was just like events like that are just really wonderful. Yeah. Well, you're actually I think you're the one who taught me. You don't need to cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember I threw out on Twitter maybe a couple years ago, like, "Hey, I'm buying." all your books. If you're my friend or I know you, I like you, I'm going to go buy your book. I may not read it right away, but, um, but I always wondered like when to do it, does it help to do it in advance? And I remember you, I think it was a thread that you told me, you know, get it in advance. I mean, that really helps the author if you want to help the author. And you told me about independent bookstores because I was a little averse even to then to going on Amazon. Um, right now I feel like Amazon made their 13 billion dollars yes we can be 12 <laughs> yeah um, exactly. so i'm not going there at all now i mean i don't think i'm ever going to go there for books again but i i, I did want to ask you like as someone who um you know it was really i'm sure a big deal early on that you get those those um those early people buying in what do you recommend people do and, and kind of how can they get independent bookstores involved yeah so a lot especially now you know a, a, Basically, most independent bookstores have websites that you can order from. Um, and pre-ordering a book from, especially from an independent bookstore, makes a huge difference for authors because I think, like, it, it says a number of things, right? It tells the publisher there is early interest in this book. We should throw our support behind it because you never know how much support you know, a book is going to get from a publisher, if, you know, how much publicity are they going to push it? How many marketing dollars are they going to throw behind it with advertisements and all of that? And so if there are pre-orders, like the publisher kind of sits up and take notice. Um, but also bookstores do too. You know, like if, if, you know, if one person who regularly shops at that bookstore pre-orders a book, they think like, well, th- if there's one person who wants this book, there will probably be at least three like let's order three or four copies of it to put it on our shelves and then and like a lot you know a lot of independent bookstores don't buy a ton of books cuz they only have so much shelf space so even that like that makes a huge difference like if especially if it's repeated and repeated um so like a pre-order says a lot to the like publishing industry as a whole to keep supporting that book yeah i i'm one of those people who when i'm at the grocery store um i would rather walk around up and down the aisles twice, then ask someone where the sriracha is. Right. <laughs> so 
with with bookstores, I always just thought, well, when the book shows up, I can buy it. I didn't even know, you know, you could pre-order. And I certainly didn't think like the indies had it together. But what I'm learning during this pandemic is now when you go on the sites, they're um, they're very proactive about it. I mean, they're advertising it now, which I think is going to help them in the long run. Absolutely. And, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, Miss Dalloway's just, uh, I think they had one of their part-time employees tested positive, so they're going to shut down for a few days. They're doing all the right things. And also, in the next sentence, they can say, here is where you can go. It's going to go from the distributor directly to you. We're going to open in a little bit, but you can still buy books from us. And I'm, you know, that's the only place I'm going to buy until they reopen. Um yeah, and so, there, you know, because yeah. there's a bunch like there's a bunch of small bookstores that I visited in the past few years that I think pivoted really well in the early days and said like, okay, if you place an order on our website, this is how it works. And they and like there were some some of the little ones I was really worried about surviving, but they're still going. Um, and now you know they've reopened to curbside delivery and things like that. And so I'm hoping that you know I'm hoping that if they made it through those first few weeks or their sort of few months, they can still make it, but we never know um, yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, I know uh, you and I both um, wish them well, and, and I'm going to change my behavior a little bit, certainly in the short run and also in the long run, because um, I think it's just, you know, these are important places and they're places where communities can gather and they're places of ideas and curation and representation. And, uh, and I just, I want these indie, indie bookstores around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what I've really liked seeing is I think a lot of bookstores are doing a really good job on like their social media, um, kind of trying to pivot to doing book recommendations there since they can't do it in person. So like one bookstore that I love in Washington, D.C., it's called um, East City Bookshop. Like on every Friday on their Instagram stories, they do, you know, ask us for book, what what kind of book are you looking for? And so people will you know give them things of like books they're looking for and then they'll recommend a whole bunch of books in a row which yeah. like i've discovered books through them doing that you know and so i've seen other bookstores doing that kind of thing on social media which i think is a really fun use of it and as a way to kind of do that book recommending when they can't do it in person well that's a great tip and um uh really appreciate you coming on uh, we went long you're very easy to to talk to um love your books thank, thank you for you being so my, my first romance author jasmine well i have a lot of recommendations for you so i can give you i can give you a whole list <laughs> that's awesome well congratulations on your success and i can't re wait to read more and uh thanks for coming on total sf thank you so much yay thank you You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Jasmine Guillory. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at www.sfchronicle.com slash pod.